You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar, and I've got a great interview lined up for you today with Mark Cox in the funnel. Mark is a sales leader, a sales trainer, and a sales consultant par excellence. There are very few salespeople, professional salespeople at least, that I can say that I genuinely like, and Mark is definitely one of them. Now, the way I first met Mark is kind of a funny story. I was working with a client who kept bringing up Mark's name. Every time we had a sales problem or a business development problem, or if we just couldn't for some reason push a deal forward, this client would say, hey, we got to call Mark. We got to ask Mark. We got to get Mark's input on this. And I would always wonder why, you know, what's the big deal with this Mark guy? And of course, as a marketer myself, I had a healthy dose of skepticism towards salespeople and the sales profession at large. And then eventually, at the insistence of this client, I attended a one-day sales training workshop with Mark and his team. And let's just say, after that one day, I was a believer. Mark is a brilliant teacher, and he really helped me understand the importance of the sales discipline and why if you ignore sales, if you ignore business development, then you're going to leave money on the table. Because you can generate all the interest in the world that you want to with your marketing, and I certainly advocate doing that, but if you don't close the loop with a really robust sales and business development process, then you're going to lose deals. And that's exactly what Mark and I are going to cover in this interview. You're going to get some really practical tips to improve your sales conversations. We're going to talk about what you should be doing before you first meet a prospect. We're going to talk about how to navigate the sales conversation, what questions you should be asking, what you should be looking for in that conversation. And then we'll talk about how to close out the conversation and what you should be doing when you follow up. Now, here's a bit of a spoiler alert. Mark has put together a really valuable resource exclusively for forecast listeners to help you better plan and execute your sales conversations. And you can get immediate access to that resource at itfacademy.com slash forecast. That's itfacademy.com slash forecast. So with that, sit back, grab a cup of coffee and enjoy the conversation. Mark, thanks so much for joining me here. Great to be here, Ahmed. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start us off with just a little bit of background about In the Funnel and, and the work that you do here? Sure. So, Ahmed, we're a group of coaches and consultants that primarily help companies sell better. So, so poor B2B and B2C sales is a bit of an epidemic. And sales is lagged behind its peer groups in terms of business disciplines in regards to performance and professionalism. So we help with that. Companies engage us when revenue growth has stagnated or when a sales team is underperforming or even when they're really trying to build their sales and go to market plan for the next year. Excellent. So the reason I brought you on, Mark, on the show is because, as you're familiar, I work with professional services firms. You do. And a lot of the folks listening to this podcast are professional services leaders, you know, folks that have to sell and deliver their own services. One of the challenges in that space, as you're very aware, is 
these are not professional salespeople. Right. Um, they don't know necessarily the, the art and the science of selling. Uh, they may even find sales to be a dirty word. <laughs> We've heard that more than once, actually. <laughs> they may cringe when they hear the word sales or meet salespeople. But by and large, they do understand that they need to sell. Right? They need to sell to right. improve revenue, to attract more clients and to grow their businesses. And they're interested in learning how to sell better without looking and feeling like a salesperson necessarily. How funny is that, Ahmed? So, so we work with a lot of those professional services firms as well, both small and large, by the way. And, and frankly, some of the larger firms, some of the senior partners, their view of professional selling is Willie Lomans of, the, of yesteryear, or uh, if you're a little bit younger, old Gil from The Simpsons. And I, I think part of that is driven by um, culture, pop culture, and also by the fact that, frankly, the academic community hasn't embraced B2B selling as a, a real core part of a profession. They've almost looked at it as a trade, which is why most business schools teach three marketing courses and four finance courses, but they have no courses on B2B selling. Right. But one of the things I, I think would be true for your uh, subscribers here is they know that growing the business and getting new deals is the most important part of their business. So they may not like it, but they know it's critically important. And frankly, the good news for In the Funnel, it's critically important for every business out there. So we're, we're quite used to sort of helping these folks who in the past might have seen sales as uh, unpleasant. And, and candidly, 30 years ago, it was unpleasant because it was a little less about solving a problem for a customer, mm. and it was a little more about being a talking brochure. Right. And nobody wants to be that. So, so when we work with clients, we help them come to the realization that really the best salespeople are the ones who are best at finding out a customer problem or an issue and listening through smart questioning and then being able to then tie how they can help their capabilities to solving that business problem. So the exact opposite of Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Goodwin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just don't do what he did and, and you should be okay. Well, you know what? And boy, there's another, there's pop culture for you. I, I was in agony for most of that meeting, <laughs> feeling so bad for Jack Lemmon throughout the course of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But of course, you know, that's not what it's about today. Frankly, the best salespeople today have very high degrees of business acumen. Mm. They're, they're, um, they're, they're very inquisitive, they're highly intelligent, and they, they are usually good generalists in terms of business to understand the typical problems that most folks are trying to solve in a business right. or desired business outcomes so that, that they can then determine whether the customer has a problem they can solve for. Right, and I guess the research in, you know, in books like the Challenger Sales supports that, right? Right. They found that the most effective salespeople were the ones who could really challenge the existing assumptions and notions and ways of doing business, which would require an understanding of your customer's business. Yeah, I think the if memory serves the Chally groups behind the Challenger sale, and they always said, teach, tailor, and then take control. Right now, now the the third component I think for some of your clients. Um, would be very, very relevant because professional services folks, when I engage my lawyer or my accountant or even my real estate professional, well, I'm looking for them to guide me because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an accountant. So, so I think it's very relevant. Absolutely. So I think a good place to start, Mark, would be what are some of the, the, the most common mistakes 
that you see professional services leaders make when it comes to selling and the sales process? Oh, great. Um, the, the biggest mistake that we see is when we sit down and talk to a professional services leader and we ask them, well, tell me about the value proposition for your company. They don't have one and they don't really understand what a value proposition is. So uh, whether you call it an elevator pitch or a value proposition, somehow you've got to be able to articulate three core things to a potential prospect concisely so that they understand what's unique and different about you. And, and the three elements or three legs of the value proposition stool are, first, you have to be able to articulate who, who are you and what do you do? So what's your core capability? But then how does what you do tie to a desired business outcome of a customer? So the second stool is, what problem do you solve for the prospect you're talking to? And then finally, and this is the big one in professional services, what's unique or different about you given there are other options in the marketplace? So what we see, even on very high-end lawyers, they'll show up and throw up. They just sit down and they'll say, let me tell you about me and my practice. And they'll tell me about how long they've been in business, how many customers they have and all the different types of work they do. Um, I don't get to say anything and they just talk for 15 minutes. And at the end of it, at the end of somebody talking or making a statement, there's always dead air. Mm. Right. So then they're stuck. They've, they've thrown everything on the table. And so this show up, throw up is the issue we try and work with most. And we try and help them kind of restructure that conversation around some intelligent questions for the prospect or the customer. One of the one of the companies and the thought leaders that I follow quite co closely is Donald Miller of StoryBrand. Okay. So StoryBrand is a company that's developed this, this seven-part storytelling formula for brands. Right. The big idea is that ultimately you're telling a story. Right. right. You're telling a story to your customers and to your prospects, and you're engaging them in that story as the hero. Big mistake that people make is they assume that they're the hero. Right. <laughs> right. They tell a story where I'm the hero, and, and you're just along, along for the ride somehow. Right. right? But of course, Boy. nobody wants to hear a story where they're not the hero. Well, you know what, uh, Ahmed, think of the um, people you like most, your best friends. Chances are your interactions are pleasant and positive because you're talking, they're not. Exactly. Yeah. So, so most of the time when we meet with um, folks professionally, a good rule of thumb, particularly as a professional services leader, you want to make sure you're not speaking any more than 30, 30 35% of that conversation. Mm. So the more somebody talks in, an, in any form of interaction, the more they're going to enjoy it. Mm. And so that's something we've really got to keep on our radar. And, and we coach on that for call planning. The, the, you asked about the main mistakes that we see with folks in professional services. The second big mistake, so the first is they don't understand their value proposition and haven't really thought through it that way. The second is they talk too much in a sales call instead of mm. uh, intelligent questioning and listening. And the third is really at the start of the whole process, they actually don't plan for the sales interaction. Right. So somebody reaches out, hey, I've got a new prospect. And we'll say, hey, well, what's the game plan for that meeting? And they'll say, well, I'm actually just going to show up and see where they're at. <laughs> so they got, they apparently it's so easy that they're just going to show up and off the cuff with no plan, strategy, approach. And, and frankly, the gentleman who just uh, gave me a spectacular quote on painting my house did a much better job than many folks that, that we've worked <laughs> with in the past. And, and with no disrespect to either party. 
But this gentleman was extremely good about saying, listen, I'm going to take 90 minutes of your time, Mark, and talk me through his process. And as we walked around the house and we were talking about the paint job, he was trying to pull out of me what's really important to me about the whole project. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he also asked some very good questions about how do my wife and I make decisions about these types of things? You know, am I the one who runs the budget or does Mrs. Cox run the budget? This guy was, was actually quite, uh, quite impressive indeed. And by the way, through the course of that discussion, because he was with us for about an hour before the quote, he built a level of trust and credibility through good questions right. that I had confidence. Yeah. So when he started to tell me about how he would solve our problem, he already knew the hot points. And my wife's hot point is, boy, we really want to make sure the house looks good. My hot point, of course, is, you know, uh, keeping the cost down, but keeping the house neat while we're doing it. So kind of an interesting... Uh, so so who, who is the real buyer in that case, Mark? Well, let's be honest. We know Mrs. Cox is the real buyer in that case, Amit. Just in case she's listening. There's no, yeah. I'm second in command, but I'm a pretty close second in command. Yeah. It's funny. We were talking earlier about, about um, the, the process of buying a suit, right? And, right. And Harry Rosen. And, and I was there last, last weekend shopping for a, for a family wedding. Um, you know, and I, you know, of course I showed up about I think 10 to 15 minutes before close and I'm in a rush and the wedding is this weekend. Right. And so I'm looking around, you know, I'm the type that I like to fly under the radar. I don't really want to engage with a salesperson. No offense. Right. Right. And, uh, and of course she engages me and she starts asking me all these questions. And, and initially I'm a little bit annoyed. Right. Honest. Right. right. What's it for? When's the wedding? What other kinds of suits do you have? And, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, look, I know what I want. I don't, you know, I don't need all these questions course it turns out that once you know i entertained her with those questions she had a ton of great advice and i probably would have picked the wrong suit altogether (laughs) this is it right and she kind of earned the right to proceed Mm -hmm. and um but but you see that natural tendency the wall goes up because retail is a little tougher than many of the things we do i think for some of our listeners here when they're engaging with a prospect that first meeting the prospect's actually waiting for them to talk at them Yes. They say, hey, it's nice to meet you, Ahmed. And they're literally saying, hey, pull out your PowerPoint and start talking at me. And that's a wonderful opportunity, if properly planned for in terms of sales call, to take an approach that says, listen, I might give you 30 seconds on me, but what I now want to do is really find out a little bit about you and your business or what you're trying to accomplish. And then at the end, I'll circle back and I'll talk your ear off about me. Right. So, so as soon as that takes place, you're then moving into more of a consultative discussion, which is, of course, what folks in professional services want to do. And that's how they want to be viewed. Yeah. And, and really, the way you think about that initial sales conversation as a consultant or a service provider is this is the prospect's first opportunity to see you in action. Right. In the end, you're selling your advice. You're selling your ideas and your insights. Right. right. So you don't walk in. And, and, and just try to pitch their ear off because that's you wouldn't consult that way, right? Why would you sell that way? No, you're, you're absolutely right, Amit. But I'll be honest with you, in a past life, years before in the funnel, I was the big deal guy for a very, very large outsourcing company. So we would do things as large as tens of millions, hundreds of million dollar deals. We, in fact, did a billion dollar transaction at one point. When we were engaging high, high high-end professional services firms to help support on those types of deals, these were major engagements. And to see the top partners in a very high accounting firm come in and literally just pitch anything. You know, we'd say we need this and they'd say, they they were this close to saying they could come over and paint my house and cut my grass. (laughs) Like they would really almost not listen to anything we were saying. They just said, we can do it all, we can do it all. It was literally a dog and pony show. Mm. 
And, and so I, I think that world's changed so significantly. There's such an opportunity to differentiate yourself and in doing so, you build relationship and credibility. One of the challenges that I see is a lot of the, a lot of the people that I work with, they come from those big firm environments and they went off on their own, started their own boutique firm. Right. But they think that the way that big firms sell is the right way to sell. Right. But what they forget is the big firms have these big brands behind them. And right. It almost doesn't matter what they say to a certain extent. If I want to hire a big firm, I'm going to hire a big firm. Right. Right. But as a smaller boutique operation, you, you can't go in and execute that same strategy and hope to see the results. You can't. So the, the, what a great example. Um, it, again, going back to the value proposition, what do you do? How does what you do tie to a desired business outcome? And then third, what's unique and different about you? If in that brief intro on your value proposition, you can't articulate why should someone pick you versus their other options in the marketplace, they won't pick you. Yeah. Or if you can't articulate what's unique and different, you might get commoditized on price. And by the way, creating the value proposition for your brand uh, out there, um, this is not a 15-minute exercise. Mm. So, so you can go to our website or our um, uh, special page we've set up for, for folks who view this, uh, this video. But the idea is you have to properly workshop those things and, and really whiteboard the list of things that make you unique and different. But in the moment when I'm talking to a customer, I have to keep it brief. Because none of us can really remember anything. Right, yeah. And so we have meetings, and, and unless I make it very crystal clear what's unique and different about my firm, they'll decide how to package me and position me. And so that's why working on brevity and working on messaging and how we present things is, is very important. And again, we see a real opportunity here within professional services firms. By the way, people buy from specialists, not generalists. So oftentimes folks are afraid to say, you know, for example, in the funnel, what we do is we help small and medium business. And people say all the time, well, Iron Mountain Canada was a customer, so-and-so was a customer. Why would you cut off a portion of your customer base? And we say, we don't cut it off, mm -hmm. but our focus, where we spend our time doing demand generation, where we, where we really want to play is small and medium business. You know why a lot of people come to me? Why? Because the word boutique is in my firm's name. Perfect. And I don't even like the firm's name, but I know it works because right? <laughs> I see the word boutique and, and with some people it resonates. It resonates with the folks who see being small and boutique as an advantage. Right. But it also turns people off who don't want to be boutique. They want to be the big firm and they've got those those aspirations and fair enough, but they're, right. not, they're not my customers. Right. Right. See, see you, well, because of you're so good at what you do, you've picked your target segment and you can be a category killer in that target segment, which is far better than being a generalist every man out there. Yeah. Because most of your clients, and, and certainly many of ours, they don't want to know what we did for the $100 million company. They actually want to know what we did for the $4 million company absolutely. to get them to six. Yeah, That's absolutely. what they want to know. So Mark, let, let's jump into some, some practical tips that folks can take away from this when they're planning for that first phone call with a prospect or they're going to head into the office for, for a meeting or the client's coming to them for a meeting and they've got that first opportunity now to, to make a good impression and to, to put themselves in, 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 the, in competition for, for the sale at least. So if we could break this down into three parts. Sure. Right, we'll spend a couple of minutes on each. Sounds good. What do we do before the meeting? Okay. What do we do during the meeting? And what do we do after the meeting? 
Great, we'll great. Start with the before. The before. Yeah. We plan for the meeting. Um, so, so first of all, we want to plan what's going to happen in the meeting. But I want to understand who I'm going to see, what business they're in. I want to understand what's happening with that business through public domain information that's everywhere today. Mm. So, so with tools like LinkedIn and of course everything I can get online today. There's no excuse, really not, for having a very good size up on the business. So if I'm meeting Ahmed from Boutique Growth, I actually want to know who the other executive officers of Boutique Growth are. Mm -hmm. And I'm not afraid, folks, to print out the LinkedIn pages and having, have them in my portfolio because when I meet with you, you're happy that I've done the research. Right. I just differentiated myself. When folks come to our office, I like to have their website on the television screen. I've got their Twitter account up. Mm. I might have um, their Facebook page. And I might, by the way, it helps with a little bit of rapport. I'll ask them about their sponsorship of the Run for the Cure because it's all up there. Right. They love to see their name up on the screen when they walk in because you've got to do the research. So let's understand who we're talking to. Let's understand the company. I may actually want to understand their industry and their competitors. And then I actually planned for the meeting. Now, uh, you, you mentioned going to somebody else's office, Ahmed. Most people actually spend more time traveling to a sales meeting than they do planning for it. And it, it, this is why I currently have no hair, because this drives us crazy. So, so if I'm going to have my first meeting with Boutique Growth, and I've done my research, I actually want to think through in my own mind, what's my desired outcome from the meeting? What's my objective of this meeting, but what's my desired outcome? What do I want to get out of it? Mm. Am I looking to do a deeper dive and due diligence from it? Am I looking to get to the point where I put a proposal on the table from it? Am I looking to understand the three or four things that will determine whether I can actually help your company? I have to have a desired outcome from the meeting. That's where I start. Why am I saying? It's, not it's never just going to break bread or right. going to meet a guy. I love the example of, of the LinkedIn profile printout because I think most folks would be shy to do that, right? right. To walk in with, with a printout. I think, well, doesn't that make me look needy or something like that? But if you, if you think about it from the other person's perspective and somebody walks in with your LinkedIn profile on paper, you're probably going to view them in a positive light. I would think so, wouldn't you? I absolutely would. I love that example. So we've got the meeting now, we've done our homework, we've, we've, we've consumed all the publicly available information we can get our hands on. We're as educated on their business as we can be going into the meeting. What do we focus on in the meeting? What are we trying to accomplish there? Great. So, so I, I always like a structure for my meetings. Now, whether it's formal or informal, even if you and I were two guys meeting over a coffee, it's still a meeting. And so there's a few things I want to accomplish there. Obviously, always want to build some rapport and relationship, okay? Mm. I want to give them a sense for what I'm trying to do in the meeting. So I'll tell them outright saying, listen, Ahmed, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, but really I want to find out a lot about you and what you're trying to accomplish. And at the back end of this meeting, I'm going to let you know based on what I've heard whether I think I can help in any way. And the two of us will talk about next steps. Mm. Does that sound okay? Even if we're having a coffee at Deneen down the street, that gives some sense for what we're trying to accomplish. Now, that also helps build a bit of credibility for me because Ahmed might now think, well, he's process driven. He's got mm -hmm. a bit of a structure here. It's not formal and uncomfortable. So, so then I'll say, well, as you know, we're sales coaches and consultants and we get engaged when revenue growth has stagnated and we've worked with 35 customers over the last couple of years, primarily small business. 
But Ahmed, I was taking a look at your business and I may, again, pull out the printed copies of the website or an annual report or, or, or. Tell me about your business. Why are we here? Mm. What were you hoping to accomplish? Right. What problems are you trying to solve right now? And, and many people talk, get very specific into a sell cycle. Mm. So they want to delve into very specific questions. How do decisions get made and do you have budget? <laughs> Stay away from that. Let's jump up to tell me about your business so I can do a size up on your business and understand what's happening. You never want your prospect to know they're being qualified right. through your question. Or to being, right? yeah, exactly. How much money have you got in your wallet right now? Like who who likes that kind of- Do you have signing of, authority? That's right. No. Yeah. If not, can you point me to the right person? No one ever comes up to me and Harry Rosen because I'm wearing jeans all the time. So no, they go to the guys who have the money. But but really we're gonna try and ask, what what's important in a sales discussion is really not what I say because I already know my stuff, what I'm gonna say before I've met with you, Amit. The importance of that meeting is find out what's in your head. Mm-hmm. So I've got to have my questions that I want to ask, and I be I'm not ashamed to say I have a good template group of 15 questions or so that I ask most of the time, and they're written in the front of my book, and that means that even when I'm running late and I'm rushing from a meeting to a meeting, I don't have to be smart in the moment. I can just take a few minutes again and just refresh my memory in terms of the questions I'm going to ask. Right. So if I'm dealing with small businesses, I might ask things like, well, you know, tell me about your revenue growth over the last few years. You don't have to give me specific numbers, but percentages. How do you compete and win in your marketplace? What industry trends are affecting what you do today in the marketplace? Mm. Um, what are your competitors providing your customers that you're not? You know, there's, there's five or six questions that we like to, how do you manage and motivate your sales organization today? We ask that question. So for each professional services firm, there's going to be eight, nine, ten questions that you can ask to get a good conversation going. Mm. And this is all part of your sales meeting structure you've thought through. Intro and rapport. Give them some understanding of what's going to take place in the meeting. Very brief introduction on you, but get into detail on them. And at the end of it, see if you can connect the dots. Ahmed, you said three or four things here that I think are interesting. Here's how we might be able to help and here's what the process would look like moving forward. Folks, just a couple of tips here though. Whenever anybody answers one of your questions, it's never the first answer where the magic occurs. It's the second level down and the third level down. Mm. So if you're in real estate and you're looking for new space and someone says, I wanna be close to Richmond and Young and you'll say, why? And they'll say, I would like to be close to the subway. Many people just say, okay, want to be close to the subway. It's the next question that's an important one. Why is it you want to be close to the subway? Why is that important to your business? Well, because we have a lot of young people working for the company and they don't have cars yet. So a lot of people would take that answer. Again, ask why, tell me more about that. Well, there's actually quite a competitive environment out there for young talent today in technology. So we've got to be very, very competitive. So it's actually seen as a huge benefit. Mm. It's always the second or third level down of why, why, that really tells a tale. So let me ask you this, Mark. Uh, Those are great tips on how to execute that first meeting, right? Having a process, having a good list of questions, um, and really drilling down to what the client's hoping to achieve. I find that we we tend to um, understate the importance of feelings in these interactions. Right. Right. Because I may not remember what you said or what I said, 
you know, days and weeks after a sales conversation, but I'll remember how I felt. Yeah. Right. What do you want the prospect to walk away with from a feelings perspective after that interaction? How do you want them to feel? What a great question. Um, so we do a lot of this on it and I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Mm. So, so at the core for me, I want the prospect to feel that I actually care about their business. I don't want them to feel that I care about my business and getting a contract signed. Mm. And by the way, the truth of it is, I don't want to sign a contract with the wrong prospect. Yeah. So, so I want them to feel that we're vested and we're really providing some value in this discussion and we're trying to figure out whether we can sincerely and legitimately help. And we do try and make sure in almost every conversation that we have, we give some value in that conversation. I'm a big one on, um, if they're going to give us the time to sit down and chat, we want to make sure they get a couple of nuggets from the conversation. So we'll share some thoughts and insights. But again, I'm not a talking brochure, so I can't do that until they've yeah. really clearly outlined what problem they've got. And I'm clear as to one or two things that we could do to help. So one of the things that I do, and, and I don't know if this is a good idea. You can, you can correct me here on the spot. We'll do some live coaching. But <laughs> in, in my initial conversations, I'll come out and say it. Look, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't even know if we should work together. That's not my objective here, right? right. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to learn more about your business. I'm going to try to help you right here on this call. And if I can help you, then there may be an opportunity to work together down the line. But that's not the point here. I just want to understand what you're trying to achieve and, and offer you some advice right here. And you know, um, first of all, great approach, and obviously it works for you. You're doing, you're running a wonderful business. I think the key to all of these things and is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And the truth of it is, you're an authentic person. I've seen you in action. I've seen you with a group, and I know some of your customers. So it's the truth. Mm -hmm. You are trying to help somebody. And by the way, we all are trying to make sure we work with the right customers because there are wrong customers for in the funnel. I'll be the first to point it out. <laughs> and so, so we really wanna make sure, is this the right fit for both parties? Because it's gotta be win-win. Absolutely. And, and I think, by the way, Alan, that's the di biggest difference today with professional B2B selling versus these uh, stereotypes from the years past, where it was all about the person and their commission and all. It, 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 the, the world has evolved enough now that if you're not providing real value authentically, it's not going to be a good situation for anybody. Well, buyers have so much choice now, and that's a real change, right? Yeah. The, the, the plethora of choice and options that buyers have makes it you know, difficult to sell ice to an Eskimo anymore, right? Because that's right. no better. <laughs> right. They, they do. And, and the other thing that buyers have now, right now is overload. Mm. So, so this is why the planning and preparation for a meeting is so important. Uh, 20 years ago, you'd show up for a sales call, and, and I'm quite sure I did this many times, and I said, tell me what's keeping you up at night. And by the way, 20, 25 years ago, that might have been a real reasonable yeah. question. But now the buyers are saying, listen, I'm not going to spend, for the, for the hundredth time this year, I'm not going to explain everything going on with me unless you've earned the right to proceed. And so sometimes by going and doing your own research and having a point of view, mm. That'll actually earn the right to proceed with intelligent questions where you can pull more. I think the wall goes up with people if they just say, this is, this is very low-end sales again, and I'm fatigued by it. Yeah, plus if you ask me that question, my answer is my kids. And unless you have a solution to that, then that's probably a conversation <laughs> And killer. we can't help there. God bless, but we can't help there. Excellent. So, Mark, let's wrap this up with the third part of the process. We've talked about what to do before the conversation, how to, to navigate that conversation, 
Now all is said and done. Hopefully it went well. You've gotten those insights and the whys out of the customer. They're walking away feeling good about you and what you do. Yeah. What do you do next? You follow up professionally. So I, I think your next step is going to be an example of how you conduct business. And so um, I think we all like to, you know, you'll send an email and a thank you and say, listen, these were the things, but, but recap and acknowledge you heard some of the things that they said. So for example, um, you identified, Ahmed, that these were the three things that were kind of key issues regarding your sales and go-to-market plan today, and you're considering a number of options. I'll recap what I said briefly and suggest our next steps. So you know, you've been having trouble with revenue generation, you've got an underperforming sales team, and perhaps some, some need to, the, to change the sales culture. Um, our recommendation would be a short-term discovery. We'll come in and assess your strategy, structure, people, process, and tools. Would be delighted to continue um, and discuss face-to-face. -face, you know, what's our what's our call to action next? Right. That's what I'd like to do, and I do it very, very quickly. In the professional services business, things that can stand out um, show some courtesy. So, so the other thing we're big on is managers. Thank, you, thank them for the time they offered you. Mm. Regardless of how the meeting went, they gave you half an hour, an hour of your time. Mm. We're very big on that. So mm. gratitude's a big thing in our world as well. But again, try and add some value. To your point, in terms of adding value, you may actually attach one or two of your tools or articles that are relevant to some of the problems they have. So that follow-up email has a bit more value as well. Right. So it shows you, you thought about the issues, you know, you're processing, and you've even taken the time to gather some resources that would be valuable. And they're not cut and paste resources, they're, they're directly tied into your conversation. Right, exactly. And you do this so well. You speak very specifically to that customer. Nothing you do in terms of all of this is ever generic. Mm. And I, I think that's something that all the viewers here could uh, learn from. I know we have. Absolutely. So, so one issue I find that folks have with this idea of a follow-up, and we'll wrap up with this last question, is they don't want to be too persistent. Right. They don't want to feel pushy. Um, but of course, the opposite extreme isn't helpful either, where they have you know one follow-up email and they say, well, they never got back to me. I guess the deal's dead. Right. right? What's, what's that fine line that you want to walk there? So, so the, the fine line is being professionally persistent. And, and I think with the right tone and voice and energy and enthusiasm and authenticity, I wanted to close the loop, but please let me know, would you like to connect or should I stand down for a couple of weeks and then follow up then? Mm -hmm. so, so we don't try and hound somebody or stalk them, but I will tell you that, I'm a good example of this by the way, I have three technology providers for technology that In The Funnel actually needs, that I want to buy, that they're actually chasing me right now because given certain travel schedules and certain days, I literally don't have the capacity to respond and there's 50 emails I don't get to. Right. So they're on my radar, I care, but I can't get back to them. I don't think I'm unique. So what you'll find is Sales and Marketing Magazine did kind of a nice assessment where they said, um, on a X number of new leads, it usually takes somewhere between four and five touch points to catch somebody, yet most people give up after two. Yeah, And they feel like they're hounding them, but they're not. We're just overburdened. So being professionally persistent a good thing. But to add to that, you don't when you reach out if you want to reach out by phone, you can leave a voicemail on a Monday. You can call on a Tuesday, but you don't have to leave a voicemail again. Right. You just see if you can catch them. They call that ghosting. Yeah. So so I would be professionally persistent because I think if you did a good job in your initial meeting, then 
the recipient's going to be very comfortable saying, hey, Mark, stand down for now, but I appreciate your time. And that's all you want to know. Or they'll say, listen, thanks for your persistence. I hear that all the time. Thanks for your persistence. I would like to together, but get together, but I'm swamped. Let's book something three weeks out. Yeah, I mean, I've got emails in my inbox right now, right, that are probably the third or fourth follow-up, and I'm interested. Yes. I'm definitely interested. Absolutely. I haven't had the time to connect. Now, if they give up now, they've lost a sale, potentially. Right, right. Because I know I'm interested. So, no, I think that that's critical. Welcome to small business. Yeah. And by the way, it was the same when I was running large sales teams. We can't get through the day because we have so much to do. So, it's the, prof- but being professionally persistent. It's never personal when they don't get back to you. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Mark, I wanted to keep this interview short. We went for, I think, a really long time, and it's all your fault because you said so many smart things. But <laughs> Please blame me. Please, I'm the X Factor here. But I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. How can folks find you, and, and what should they do next if they want to, to, to interact more with you? Well, thanks for asking. And first of all, Amit, thanks so much for having me on the, um, on the uh, video here. So the way, folks, for anybody viewing this clip, we've set up a special place you can go, itfacademy.com slash forecast. And so if you want to figure out how to plan for your next sales call, we've got a tool you can download, and we've got a video you can watch, and a blog that will outline a little bit of a step and approach. So we wanted to provide a little bit of a tool to the folks who took the time to watch this. Um, Our website is uh, www.inthefunnel.com. And thank you very much. It's great being here. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about ITF Academy? Sure, thank you. ITF Academy is an online um, learning program for B2B sales. Mm -hmm. So there's a good portion of folks out there who don't want to go to a training class or actually don't want to engage consultants. So this is meant to be an online tool and resource where you can go through a variety of different sales topics And on each of these topics, we provide a number of videos explaining the topic, uh, a number of learning resources like blogs, and then tools that you can download to help you start selling better today. Excellent. So folks who are are listening or watching, if if you're in that environment, you're looking for sales help, In the Funnel Academy is a great way to get started. I've actually looked at the back end, I've seen the videos, and I've actually been to Mark's training as well. So without watching those, I know how valuable it is for folks. You can check that out at itfacademy.com. If you're watching us on on Twitter, either live or after the fact, and you want to check out the audio for this episode, you can head to forecast.fm slash Cox M-A-R-K-C-O-X. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Ahmed. Great having, great being here. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Just a quick note to wrap up this interview. I hope you learned as much as I did through that conversation. I mean, Mark really gave a ton of very practical advice to help you improve your sales conversations, both before the conversation, during the conversation, and after the conversation. So I think we've all got a lot of really great insight and tips that we can use now every single day and every single week to hopefully improve the percentage of deals that we're closing. And again, check out the resource that Mark has provided to help you with that process at itfacademy.com slash forecast. Again, that's itfacademy.com slash forecast. Thank you for listening.